It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. For today's episode, you know, the country was taken over by making a murderer on Netflix. Some new information has come out in the news lately and it's hard to keep up with it all especially if you don't have a law degree like our guest today dan o'donnell who actually covered the case and again has a law degree so he actually understands what's going on and dan is also on our news talk station down the hall news talk 11 30 we're gonna get to that uh but before we do i was talking to someone over at corporate and iheart and he said you know you really need to kind of let your audience know more about you so before every episode we're gonna do like a little intro so we can kind of check in on our lives and let you know what's going on so I'm Quinn from FM 106.1. I'm on in the afternoons 3 to 7. I'm Hannah from iHeart Sales. And I'm Sam from iHeart Sales. We all work here at iHeart Media in Milwaukee. I have to tell you that just in case you don't know who we are from other episodes. I hope we have listeners in like random other states and they're like, hmm, what weird stuff's going on over on the plain states? Oh, we totally do. Oh. I know a couple of my girlfriends in Florida listen, a bunch in New York. Florida can't say anything to us. They get all the weird <laughs> stuff. Oh, yeah. Shout out to my girl, Christina. She loves it. She listens every week and she knows. She knows Florida's weird. Go, Christina. Uh, it was funny because Jesse was calling Wisconsin the Florida of the Midwest. Who said that like a couple episodes ago? Definitely That's you, Hannah. A thing though. It was really that, is. Yeah. That's so funny. I'm like, I'm like, where did you even hear that? He's like, on your podcast. I'm like, I don't remember the that. The more at all. north you go, the more south it gets. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. That's I feel really, like it's really because we get so distracted when we're doing these. We just go on these little like tangents and little like rabbit holes. That's probably sure. why I don't remember. There's a lot to talk, talk about. about. There, there's yeah. so much to talk a about. Lot to say. The three of us, we I feel like we have so much in common when it comes to weird things. So yeah, you're right. And we have ADD for sure. And last week was your birthdays. Yep. Yes, Hannah, it was. Super it was March week. 4th. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yours was Monday. Yours was Friday. Friday. March yeah. 8th. You have the best birthday, though, because yeah. it's Women's Day. Came out of the womb, just a boss ass bitch. Which Wait, you can are. Can I say bitch? Yeah, yeah. Bitch, bitch, bitch. It's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> International We're Women's there. Day. I was really impressed, though, that like there was so much good going on on that day. I know my friend, one of my friends, Asia, she tagged me in this post and I actually shared it with Quinn. I showed her. It was like so cute and so heartwarming. She's our heart. heart oh my God. It's Monday. It's the Monday after daylight savings time and I'm riding the struggle bus pretty hard <laughs> here over here right now. But she tagged like 27 photos of people and women in her life that like empower her and make her feel great. And she wrote this great message. And I was like, oh. It was just such a feel-good day. Besides it yeah. being my birthday, besides that, I was like, I feel like I need to do a shout-out. But then I was like, Ugh. It's just so much work. There was, was a lot of work, and mm. I was just like, I love y'all. <laughs> yeah. I love I'll all the ladies I'll just tell everybody there. as I encounter them. So if you had to pick a woman, Sam, that like is a boss in your opinion, anyone, it can be, we'll do famous people. Let's do famous people, because mm. let's not get sappy oh, about it. Question. Let me think about this for okay. a second. Mm. Well, then I will, yeah. I will start okay. you okay. off with um, Kelly Ripa is my oh. boss bitch for life, because she is just so good at her job. She's so funny. She's a great mom, a great wife. I love Kelly Ripa. She's so funny. Love her. Okay, I have mine. Okay, but go it's for it. Weird. It's from Instagram. Her name is Yoga Girl, and oh, I think her real it's name not is Adrian. Like, no, her name is like Rachel something. Rachel B. Rachel, I have no idea, but she lives in Aruba, and she wow. is just like the mm-hmm. coolest person ever. Besides, I mean, she's a vegan, which I could never be because no way. But she's just her outlook on life and the way that she writes things. I'm just like, wow, I want to get to that level of like positivity and like. 
just overall happiness. Yeah. And she just, every time I log on Instagram, I'm like, oh, this chick. I hope that I'm a vegan yogi who lives in Aruba in my next life. That sounds right? pretty great. Yeah. And her kid is so cute. Her kid's name is Luna, and she calls her like her little shark baby, which I think no. is hilarious. Shark baby. <laughs> I love that. That's super Very cute. Yeah. But I'm just like, it's just my, my little sliver of happiness on social media because she's not like fake and like BS-ish yeah. on Instagram. She's just like, here's me looking like a hot mess with my kid who refuses to wear diapers, and she's just peeing all over the house. <laughs> Casual. <laughs> it sounds like... Like, uh, my weekends, yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> I don't know if I can narrow it down to one person, but I'm like, lately, I'm really into women in comedy. Like, okay, I've been following a lot more comedians on Instagram, and I just think it's like a golden age of women in comedy. Like, look at SNL, there's so many more women on there than True. there used to be. Being funny for a living is like a hard road, so power to them. Did you ever see on SNL, speaking of which, and women on there, Cecily Strong when she's the voice of the woman from Serial? She's so talented. And yes, I, love I have her. seen that. That's she's, one of my favorite skits. She's so versatile. Like, yeah. She can play like anybody. Yeah. Cecily yeah, Strong I love is them. great. Yeah. I have no idea who that is. Cecily Strong or, I need or Serial? This. Well, I know what Serial is. Okay, Cecil. so you know yeah, that you woman. What is her name? You have a true crime podcast. Okay, the, yeah. You have to like, I'll, you have to watch it later, Sam. Why? Okay. Cecily Strong being the woman from Serial. Oh, but it's fantastic. Sarah Koenig. Sa- yes. She's amazing. She is great. Yeah, she's awesome. So Sam, watch that later for okay, sure. And if I'll you're listening to this, watch that later this as well. This always happens on every podcast. You're like, Sam, you need to watch this. Sam, you need to do this. Clearly one of us has a social life and the other two of us stay in and watch <laughs> murder documentaries. True. That is so true. Guilty. Um, speaking of podcasts, so this week for our Wisconsin's podcast, we have on Dan O'Donnell, who has one of the biggest podcasts to ever be on iHeartRadio. He's right down the hall from us. And uh, his whole podcast is rebutting a murderer about Stephen Avery and everything that happened in Manitowoc County. Manitowoc's always a wild ride. Due to the sensitive topics discussed on the show, listener discretion is advised. I've had Dan on before to talk about making a murderer and the terrible, terrible second season. (laughs) <laughs> so horrible like i didn't watch it i was gonna say because either. everyone said not to so it's, i didn't it's so yeah. unbearably bad like the woman in it is just so horrible dan and i have talked about it before she's just- yeah and she's actually back with supposedly some new evidence that yet again is going to set Stephen avery free yeah, and that's why we have Dan here today, because I don't understand any of it, to be honest with you, because it just seems like a li- like a lot of legal mumbo jumbo going around. Uh, it is. That's actually the legal word for it is mumbo jumbo. <laughs> um, what happened over the past couple of weeks was that the Wisconsin Court of Appeals has ruled that a motion that the Avery attorney Kathleen Zellner has filed is going to get a hearing in circuit court. So there are three levels of courts in Wisconsin. There's the circuit court, like if you're arrested for something, you get tried in circuit court. You can then appeal your decision. You can appeal your conviction to the court of appeals. That then goes up to the state Supreme Court. Well, the court of appeals has sent back an issue related to bones that were supposedly found in a quarry off of Stephen Avery's property. Okay. Now, what she is claiming, Avery's attorney is claiming, was that years ago, these bones were given to the Hallbach family, the family of the victim, but the state never told the defense about this. Now, years ago, the reason that these were given to the family was because the defense said, we don't need them. 
Stephen Avery himself said, look, this isn't an issue. We know these bones aren't human. We know this was a dead end. This is not going to set him free. You can have them. Now, the question was, okay, well, why are these bones being given to the Hallbach family if they're animal bones? Yeah, that's also really weird. This, yeah. Right. That's just so weird. The, the, it's Manitowoc, though. <laughs> the, theory, the theory was that, okay, this is an admission that these were actually Teresa Hallbach's bones. They weren't. What was turned over to the family were bone fragments found in the bone barrel that were proven to be Teresa Hallbach's. In other words, so that they could be given a proper burial, they could be cremated, whatever, so that the family could get some sort of closure. The defense stipulated to this, and what was handed over were just Teresa Hallbach's bones. What now the defense is saying is now we want to do new testing on these bones that were in the quarry, that weren't handed over for burial, for destruction, for whatever. What the circuit court is likely to say is, well, wait a second. Years ago, you said these weren't an issue at all. And in fact, in Kathleen Zellner's own motion from August or July of 2017, she didn't request these bones. She didn't want testing on these bones because she obviously realized they don't have any evidentiary value. So why now is she doing this? And this is the operative question. This is really her last line of defense, mm-hmm. so to speak. She's just reaching at this she, point. This, this is an absolute reach. What she needs to prove in order to get a new trial or whatever, because what the judge is going to say is, look, this was stipulated to that this isn't evidence. Why should we take you seriously? She's going to argue that the state was malicious in turning over this evidence and it deliberately hid this evidence from the defense. Okay, the defense had no opportunity to do any testing or do anything. of it, And the state was doing this in an effort to hide the evidence. They're not going to be able to prove that. Yeah, right? they're not going to be able to say because they're they're turning this stuff over to the Hallbach family. There's clearly no malicious intent here that she could argue. But she's doing this because, quite frankly, every other thing that she's tried has failed. Mm-hmm. Every other request, every other bit of testing, the reason, Quinn, that the second season of Making a Murderer was so bad. A cluster F. W- because there was there was nothing on which to base any sort of testing that she was doing, any theory that she was coming up with. And if I may uh, be self-serving and promote my own podcast in rebutting a murderer. Oh, don't worry. We were going to get to that <laughs> for sure. <laughs> don't yep, you well, worry. I, I go episode by episode again and just point out just how faulty all of her theories all of her conclusions how unsupported by any evidence they really are and this is just yet another example of desperation i feel a little insulted for Teresa hallbach's family i would be totally like why why do this why put them through all of this because she's selfish and she wants to look good and it's just it's disgusting that she's trying to use these people losing their daughter their sister you know whoever for your own gain and it's just like, why? Well, why? Avery does have the right to appeals. Yep. Now, he's exhausted. How many times, though? Well, <laughs> like, I, I feel like it's always in the news. They're appealing, they're appealing, they're appealing. How many appeals do you get up to until they're like, all right, you're cut off? Uh, well, you have to raise new issues. You, okay. You have to constant in order to get a new appeal, you get one appeal, mm-hmm. okay? Unless you can show that there was something that was never taken into consideration that should have been. If there was new evidence that that tends to show you didn't do it. And that's what she's trying to say. Like this evidence is going to be enough to get a new trial. So every time she brings that up, she gets like a new appeal. You can. Okay. All right. But this seems to me to be the last thing that 
she could possibly raise because it's it's been so long now. Yeah. She made this wide ranging motion for testing of all of this evidence. None of it turned up any sort of issue that could possibly result in a new trial, could possibly result in the vacation of a, com- a conviction or anything like that. This now, it seems to me to be something that she happened to see, something that she happened to notice, and this, okay, well, what the heck, let's roll the dice on this one. But she yeah. doesn't really expect that it's going to result in anything. I, I found her tweet to be incredibly disingenuous. February 25th, Avery update, we won! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation She's point. She's the worst! Back to the circuit court, hashtag truth wins. She oh. didn't win anything. <laughs> also, why so many exclamation points? I mean, I'm a very like expressive person, so yeah. I use it, but there's like, how many are there? Some people should just like be seven. Some people should be cut off from Twitter, but we won't get in that because. Well, well, and this is actually this is this is interesting because she has attempted to litigate this case through making a murderer and through Twitter. She makes it appear as though she's just one motion away from cracking this whole thing open. When an actual examination of the evidence, if you actually look at her motion, I read pretty much everything she's filed with every single court. There's nothing of substance in there. If you're looking at this on the basis of fact, on the basis of law, and not on the basis of what's going to play well in a tweet or what's going to play well on Netflix, Mm -hmm. you sort of come to the conclusion that she doesn't really have anything, but she's constantly doing this in what appears to be an effort to keep herself in the news. Yeah, media attention. I I don't like to get into people's motives. But there, there's nothing here that would suggest that this has. And the Court of Appeals was basically saying, OK, well, we'll kick it back to the circuit court. The circuit court needs to reject this because we're not going to. So to kind of like go back, uh, Dan is not just some rando guy who's going on the Internet and forming an opinion. Dan, like us. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Dan, exactly what our whole podcast is. Yeah, he's not us where we're just like, let's turn on a mic and just talk about it. No, Dan actually knows. Dan went to law school. He is actually featured in Making a Murderer, which is one of my favorite parts because it's Dan just walking back and forth on his <laughs> yeah. phone which feverishly, is, which is Dan in a nutshell. It's totally me. It's you totally. every single day. Yes, it is. You're at the office. Yes, it is. <laughs> I didn't know Dan at the time when I watched it. And then when he said, yeah, I'm actually featured, and I'm like, oh, my God, you're the guy walking back and forth <laughs> yeah, on your cell phone. Totally was. Um, and so he has, like he was saying on our iHeartRadio app, he had uh, Rebutting a Murderer, which is the most popular original podcast we have ever had on our free iHeartRadio app. And then there's season two, which no offense to Dan, I stopped listening yeah. to it because the, <laughs> the season, because it was just stupid, not you, but what was happening in season two was just so it was, out of control. I, and I'll tell you, doing the podcast, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, it, are people seriously taking this seriously? I, is and they this, were, is this I think. Really? Yeah, I think so too, but not as many, not yeah. as many. No, and I you agree can tell with you. Just by the numbers of how many people were listening to my podcast. And I think the the viewership it clearly didn't cause the phenomenon. You know, it wasn't this big thing like it was in, what, December of 2015. When it was people, everywhere. Yeah, and people just kind of watch it and they're like, meh, okay, fine, sure. Well, because the first episode, did you did you guys watch the first episode of, of season two? Of no. season two. No, I didn't even bother with it. It's like a media circus. It's so stupid. And it was funny because Jesse said to me, they were showing all these different media people talking about the original case. And Jesse goes, where's Dan? <laughs> He goes, do you think they asked Dan to be on they, it? They did. And I told him, yep. I said, yeah, they actually did. I've got the certified letter saying that I rejected their offer in my desk somewhere. Jesse was very disappointed. He was looking for you. And I'm like, sorry, Dan's not going to be on it. It's just frustrating because the first season is very, and it's a little sensationalized because it is Netflix, but 
it started out as like, here's this case, here are all the things legally that did go wrong or didn't go wrong. And then it just turns into like a weird tap dance. And I just, I don't know, it's not compelling anymore. But anyway, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what about this case um, compelled you to start your podcast? What interests you about the case from a legal standpoint or anything well, like that? To, to be perfectly honest with you, I was involved in this case really since the moment Avery was freed from prison in, what, 2003? I can remember I was at uh, another radio station, not in our iHeart family, uh, WTMJ in Milwaukee. Boo. And reporting on Avery being freed and, and the, the you know motion to get him all this money from the state and to change the law. And Stephen Avery was a folk hero. And then I can remember, I was in law school at the time. That was when he was um, for he was the, rape, from right? the rape, right? Yes. Right, right, right. Okay. He, he was released from prison. Then in 2005, Halloween is 2005, it was shocking. And I can remember it was Christmas break. I was home and I was you know, doing some work for TMJ. I was home from law school. And just being so shocked at reporting on it really looking, based on the evidence that was being collected, like Stephen Avery got out of prison and raped and killed this girl. And it, it was shocking. And then when the, the trial started, it was going to be one of the biggest trials in Wisconsin's history. The decision was made because I was just out of law school. Hey, I would be the perfect guy to cover this. So I moved up to Chilton, Wisconsin, uh, lived in a Holiday Inn. Have you guys been to Chilton? Because I, I saw you both make faces. No. <laughs> it is. It's beautiful. And there's nothing. The, the people there were fantastic. But it, okay. is, it is a small town if i recall they have a drive-in movie theater and i think that's the only reason i've I, been there see, i don't i'm not sure if they i don't remember i could the, be wrong they they all kind of blur together once it, you it get is, up there it's you know They're just a lot of small towns small town. out there. Like lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Like mm -hmm. a small town, there was like one McDonald's and a Chinese restaurant and a bar and that was pretty much my life. What and, else do you, you need? Know, right. Yeah, and, if you have a McDonald's, you've made it in your town. Yes, True. right. Exactly. So <laughs> I ate a lot of fast food and covered the trial for like six weeks, covered the Dassey trial. After Avery was convicted, it was sort of like, uh, he's going to be convicted too. So I covered the trial. We had a closed circuit feed of the courtroom, and I just covered it from our station. But I was deeply involved in that and then forgot all about it. You know, yeah. it was he was convicted. Every so often, you'd hear about the appeals. You know, obviously the Ken Kratz, of the Teresa Halbach right, case. Of you're the saying Teresa okay. Halbach case. Obviously, Ken Kratz with the sexting stuff was a big issue. But I forgot all about it, and I knew the filmmakers at the time covering the trial, and didn't really think anything was going to come of it. You know, someone's making a documentary film. And then I saw a press release from Netflix saying, oh, there's going to be a thing on Stephen Avery in this case. And I said, oh, good for those, you know, women. They finally got their thing. And then I started thinking, I'm like, oh, wait, they were the ones who thought that he was framed. Then when the, the show premiered, I started getting texts. It was right around Christmas. It was right before Christmas the thing was released. And I got texts from people I hadn't talked to in years of my face. And it was like, hey, I saw you on Netflix. Like, or they saw your back. It was more like your back. Yeah, it was saw. like they would see, you know, oh my gosh, did you know you're in this show? I'm like, oh boy, okay. I, I was hoping I wouldn't be featured in this. And then 
people were saying at Christmas, the first inkling I got was my cousin was talking about how he had watched this and it was such this miscarriage of justice. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And everybody was talking about this, but I figured, okay, we're in Wisconsin, right? And then I, I did a lot of reporting work at the time for the Nancy Grace show on HLN. And their producers called me like, can you be on? It was like every day they wanted me on this Stephen Avery case. I'm like, boy, this is weird. Yeah. Why are they focused? And it was like that first week of January, everybody was talking about, oh, my God, this is the worst injustice ever. And I, I had not watched it. I'm like, I lived this. I don't need to see this. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I finally, after about two, three weeks of this, of everybody in the world convinced this guy was innocent, I thought, man, maybe I missed something. And I didn't even see it, even though I was there. So I watched the show. Wait, did you think he was guilty or you thought he was not guilty? Oh, I thought he was guilty. The okay. evidence was, the evidence at trial was overwhelming. Okay. I mean, there was just, there was no possible room for reasonable doubt. I Wait, mean, the, this documentary coming out had you questioning it, maybe? It, it did. Well, okay. the reaction to it. And then okay. I watched the first episode. I'm like, oh my God, this thing is full of crap. I can't Crazy. believe that this, I can't believe that this fooled so many people. And then I watched the first couple of episodes and I said, you know what? I'm going to write a rebuttal to each episode because this is nonsense. And I did just kind of doing it here locally to kind of like you know, yeah. clear the air. One of the corporate people who I had worked with at TMJ at iHeart noticed it. And he said, we're going to make this into a big national thing. This is a great job. And it kind of took off from there. So I, I did the podcast and, and people were at the time craving because they're like, we want the other stuff, the yeah. other side. And I thought this was before people had been writing books and doing all this and telling the other. I was like the first one to in-depth, like, okay, this is the other side. This is what you did not hear. Yeah. And I had to do a lot of it from memory because <laughs> there was, I mean, I, I would search for some of the court records, but they weren't online. You yeah. know, it was just, it was, and I, I was kind of doing what, what I remembered and just using logic to sort of take out the, the, uh, arguments here yeah and then there were po there were points of it that i noticed i'm like wow they are just being dishonest about this like the 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 part with the blood vial where there's a little tiny hole in the blood vial and they make it seem like this was used to take stephen avery's blood out i'm like i happen to know my sister-in-law is a nurse and she said well dan this is how we put the blood in like this is this oh. was you poke a hole in and they take the blood from stephen avery poke the hole in the top and push, squeeze it in and I'm like, they just totally lied about that. That was like a central thing. Like this was like the big thing. And if you ask people who watch the original show, they'll say, oh, the blood vial convinced me. It was a total lie. It was a total bloody lie. Literally. <laughs> True. You, you two, um, we were kind of talking about this before. Did you watch the entire first season? Like as someone, I was living in New York, so I watched the entire season and I was brainwashed and I listened to Dan's podcast shortly after and I was like you're wrong <laughs> he's innocent but now I've totally flipped because of Dan I, I remember watching it and I just got a vibe and I was like there's no way this is all BS and he's guilty and I didn't care what the show said I'm like you just get vibes and I'm like no this what, is not right what, and I'm not, I have no legal background no anything but, but do you think it's also because you're watching it on the news too you're, so you're kind of seeing that like for me I never saw it on the news because we're in New York you know yeah. so yeah that is true I'm Maybe. not getting that side what about for you Hannah I like loosely watched it. I have a lot of friends who live in Manitowoc. So yeah. instead of just like watching it, I would text them and be like, what do you know about this? Like what's really going on here? And it just, it didn't really catch my attention as much as it did for a lot of people. And that's why I didn't 
I, I think I've seen all the episodes of the first season, but I didn't watch it real like religiously. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I really wonder is like, what about this particular case captivated so many people? Like, was it the fact that it was on Netflix? Was it the fact that it blew up and it had so much media coverage? Like, of course, it would make sense that we in Wisconsin knew a lot about it. But mm-hmm. why did this go like nationwide? Well, you know, I've actually got a theory about that. It came at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement, where there was tremendous distrust of police. The Michael Brown, hands up, don't shoot. This was a common thing in politics, that there were people by the millions questioning whether police really were serving and protecting or whether they were out to shoot and kill young black men, whether they really could be capable of framing an innocent person like Stephen Avery. This also came at that perfect moment right before the presidential election really geared up. And it was like Netflix releases their biggest hits right at Christmas time because Mm -hmm. almost everybody takes a week off. Right. So this this year it was Bird Box. Bird Box was like the big thing. Well, in 2015, it was making a murderer. And there wasn't, there were a couple of podcasts, Serial was the big one, about true crime. And it really captured this mistrust of police, this desire for true crime, murder, documentary style. And it also fit into a void in news coverage that was left by the the fact that the presidential primary wasn't really, the presidential election wasn't really in full swing just yet. There was sort of already Trump fatigue setting in where Donald Trump from the moment he announced his candidacy was all anybody was talking about throughout 2015. And this was sort of escapist, but it was still grounded in reality. Not only that, it's a murder mystery. It's like it's 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 this captivating story. It's got fascinating characters, Avery, his family, the supposedly crooked cops. It just perfectly fit a need, I think, for people. But what happened was They forgot that these were real people. So you had the prosecutor, Ken Kratz. You had Sheriff Colburn and James Lank getting death threats. There were a number of bomb scares at the Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department. I mean, people forget about that. This thing just took on a life of its own. And it became this worldwide phenomenon because people wanted to follow a story that was real, but yet still sort of escapist. I don't want to say fantasy, although the show was, in fact, fantasy. Mm -hmm. But it was a story. It was a narrative. And they crafted, they did a wonderful job. I mean, the music, the cinematography, the way the story is set up. You can tell it took them 10 years to do, and, and they did a wonderful job on it cinematically. In terms of the narrative, they wanted to get out that narrative that he was innocent, that he was framed. So they cut a lot of corners, and they were, quite frankly, dishonest. Do you think that they actually thought he was not guilty oh, yeah. or you th- oh, yeah. you don't think that they just ran with the idea like, hey, I think we could twist it this way? <sighs> That's hard to say. Again, I don't want to get into anybody's motive, but in, in talking to them at the trial, they were, I mean, before they saw a shred of evidence presented at trial, they were convinced this guy was innocent. I mean, they it were. It seems like that from what I've seen is that they really think he was Yeah. Innocent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I mean, you have to think about it like this. When I was covering the trial, I was working for a news organization. I got paid either way, right? Like, he's guilty, he's innocent. I go home, I cash my check, I whatever. I'm covering the news. If they make a documentary in which a guilty man is found guilty, it's not particularly interesting. It's not something that's going to sell. If they make Mm -hmm. a documentary about an innocent man 
who's found to be innocent, that's not particularly interesting, is it? But if an innocent man is guilty, well, then you've got a story that could captivate the nation. So there is that inherent motive to get to that conclusion, which is what always sort of rubbed me the wrong way, is that they're working at this point. They've been working for like three years by the time the trial, two or three years when he was arrested. So two years. All that work is for naught if you can't sell this documentary. Mm -hmm. By the time it's sold to Netflix, they've been working for a decade, for a decade on this. Would you want to waste 10 years of your life or are you going to want to make the most compelling thing possible? So I think in some instances they deliberately cut off or deliberately falsely edited cuts of there was a a 911 call or excuse me, a, a police dispatch call. There was something that was just so so deceptively edited really? that it changed the entire meaning. You'll have to forgive me. I don't remember exactly which one it was. Okay. But there were a, there were a number of things that were just totally deceptively edited. In the first season. In the first yeah. season, yeah. Mm. My biggest question for you, Dan, is how Brendan was portrayed in the documentary and what your thoughts were then that going through the trial. I mean, in the in the Netflix show, they're basically saying that he was like inept. In the show, he's portrayed as simply going along with whatever it is that the investigators are telling him. They're saying, okay, Brendan, you did this. He says, yeah, I did that. (laughs) There's a lot of yeahs. Did you realize? Like, they always are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah." Like, Uh, oh, my God. Well, they, at one point, the investigators said, what about the tattoo on Teresa's stomach? He said, "I, I didn't see any tattoo. They said, she had a tattoo, Brendan. What? Did she have a tattoo of a flower or whatever it was on her stomach? He said, no. He said, are you disagreeing with me that she had a tattoo? He said, well, no, but I didn't see it. Teresa Halbach did not have a tattoo. The investigators deliberately fed him false information to see if he was, it was called a false lead or a false positive, to see if he was just going along with what they were saying. He was perfectly able to resist their suggestions that he had a t- that she had a tattoo on her stomach. Boom! Not exactly. Only, it's it's that's that to me is it. That's that's, that's literally end. my that's favorite part checkmate. of everything. That's yeah. that's it's over. It's it's done. He clearly could resist. Then how about this? On cross examination, he was able to resist the prosecutor's hostile questions for hours. For hours, he didn't slip up once. He didn't get caught in a lie. He didn't get caught in any misstatements. How is that possible? How is that? But he wasn't able to resist the investigators' hostile questions, which weren't really hostile questions at all. And how about this? He said, his attorney said, all right, Brendan, where did you get the ideas that you're coming? You didn't do this, so you just made this up. Where did you get the specific things you were talking about, the the binding of her arms and legs, the rapes and all this? Uh, From a book. What book, Brendan? Kiss the Girls. Kiss the girls. Brendan supposedly can't read past a first grade level. I actually bought the book Kiss the Girls. My second grader is not going to be able to read and comprehend that. He's just not. Maybe my fifth grader isn't. So if Brendan's really that dumb, how is he able to read and comprehend the book Kiss the Girls? And then there was a word, and I forget which word it was, where Brendan said he didn't know what that word meant. That word, I went and did a Google search of a digital copy of Kiss the Girls. It's used like 25 times in the book Kiss the Girls. So he's inherently contradicting himself. He very obviously did it. I I think Brendan is a sympathetic figure in that 
in as much as any murderer and rapist can be a sympathetic figure, that I really do believe he was so scared of his uncle that he felt like he had to do this. Otherwise, there would be some sort of repercussion from Uncle Stephen. Mm -hmm. But he's he's just as guilty as Stephen, and he's where he belongs. I I think he's just as guilty, like you said, but I don't think he would have done it if it wasn't for... Stephen. No, no, I don't think so. You know, uh, and that's what that's why I've said, and this, you know, I've said this on a number of programs that when you talk, the title "Making a Murderer" is apt, but it wasn't the police making Stephen Avery a murderer. It was Stephen Avery making Brendan Dassey a murderer. Woo! There it is. <laughs> Dang, Dan O'Donnell with the truth bombs. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's so crazy. I mean, the whole time you're believing this one thing, and there's a whole. It's like it's like the saying, like there's three sides to everything. There's this Absolutely. side, that side, and then the truth. Well, it's just so interesting hearing from someone who actually lived through it. So it's not mm-hmm. just us like watching the Netflix Netflix documentary and giving like feeding off of little pieces of the news, like what they're giving us here and there. Well, and like Dan, you had said too, like it doesn't matter to you if he's innocent or guilty. Right. You're just there to report it. So who who cares either way? I have another question that's sure. not directly related to this. Like you said, you were kind of in the heart of it all, just covering it as part of your job. Are there other crimes that you are interested in? Are there other (laughs) stories that have caught your attention? Or was this kind of just you in the right place at the Uh, right time? I've never been a big true crime guy. Obviously, growing up in the Milwaukee area, everybody has at least a passing interest in the Dahmer case. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, my interest sort of lies more in politics and government and all that. But in terms of like... What crimes have really fascinated me? I don't know. You know, when I was younger, I I was into like organized crime, the mafia. Oh, yeah. And and that sort of stuff. But yeah, this was just sort of, hey, you're going to go cover this case and use your legal background. And I did. And you never thought it was going to be as big as it was when you were sitting there watching court proceedings? Absolutely not. I mean, I did a couple hits on like court TV at the time, but never really thought that it was going to be a big thing that it was you know it's a big statewide thing obviously yeah. and you know when he was convicted i i was on i think abc news radio reporting for them but there was not a whole lot of interest well yeah because there's been a lot of other like statewide cases that caught people's attention but they never went national so yeah like this, you said just right place right time exactly like exactly. the sheboygan teen hatchet killers that yeah. we talked on another episode yeah we know about that one we've had no. a lot of interesting stuff up in the like manitowoc area yes i have i have mm-hmm. noticed that. there's there's a lot going on up that's kind of like a stephen avery brendan dassey kind of thing though too remember like the one guy she was saying would have mm-hmm. never killed this woman with a hatchet if it wasn't for the first oh, guy. Oh, I yeah, do and remember. They were, I do it was remember. guy number yep. one's grandmother or great-grandmother, one of the two. Yes, and Antonio only... Barbeau and Nathan Pape. Yes, exactly. I do remember those two. Yes, well, and, and that they... really only got any kind of media attention because they were tried as adults, and right. they were both only like 14. And, and that's uh, a similar one to the Slenderman mm-hmm. stabbing. Mm-hmm. That's another one that got a lot of attention. I, I will admit to being... Uh, caught up like the rest of the state was in the Jamie Kloss mm-hmm. abduction where she was actually found alive just because it's so rare. Yes. Mm-hmm. After that amount of time that someone is is ever found alive and the details of that story were just insane. But yeah, it does seem like you guys have no shortage of topics for this that podcast. That is very true. That is correct. So if you think of anything else, Dan, that you want to bring to this podcast, we would appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. Dan O'Donnell, thank you so much again. Um, You can check out Rebutting a Murderer. The first season is amazing. Check it out on our free iHeartRadio app. And uh, we appreciate you, Dan, for coming by. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram. We're Wiscon period sins. 
Thank you to Charlie from our promotions department for our cool banner photo and to Jesse Hoy for designing our logo, jessehoydesigns.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.